Have a seat. Have a seat. I have questions for you. you guys ready for some questions? Mm-hmm. All right. I want to ask you a quick question. All right. Have you ever um, really been excited about doing something? Like really excited? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Like, yeah? Yeah. I mean, have you ever been like so excited that you just couldn't stand it any longer? You just had to do this thing. And then, yeah. and then when it got to that time, well, tell me, what were you excited about? One here. Uh, I can't wait till we go to Ocean City either. I'm anxious about that. <laughs> oh, I know. That's so fun. Any, what else are you excited about? Yeah. Myrtle Beach. Oh, we got the beach thing going. I'm liking that. I wonder why. I don't know. There's white sand right here. Yes. Water safari in the summer. I agree. I don't think it'd be fun to go there right now. But, but in the summer, that is so fun. Yes. Lake Placid. Oh, I love Lake Placid. Yes. Now, have you ever gotten so excited that, and then when it came time to do it, let's say like at Water Safari, you were going to go down the big slide, right? I mean, the big one. And you got to the top there, and you're right there, and you're like, why did I want to do this? <laughs> and you get kind of scared, you know, or, or go to the beach, and, and like you're, you're ready to go swimming, and then this is big wave coming at you. Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. And you go in the sand. And, oh, it's just a mess. I, okay. Usually, it's like it, when, we go to, when we are going into Ocean City, if you, I, try to, I, I try to get past the waves once it starts, starts getting bumped, but, but when it starts getting bumpy, but I just can't swim away. I know. I just start flowing, and then I, go, I start swimming up, and I go. Oh, yes, yes. And so we, we like to get excited about things, but even the, the things we're most excited about sometimes are a little bit scary, aren't they? Yeah. Well, see, that's what happened to the Israelites. You know, they were, they were all excited about getting freed up. And we're going to talk. You guys may not be here because you're going to go to your children's class. But, but we're, they, we get all excited. They were all excited about getting freed and going to their new home. They were so excited about that. But then something happened. They got scared. And they were afraid and they got upset and they were afraid they were going to get, they were going to die. I mean, it was that bad. And, uh, and so they were afraid of that. And one of the things about life is we get scared and we start to not believe that this is the thing that should happen. And we, and we start thinking, having doubts about things like that. And one man, that, a, a man that I knew and I really, really like what he, his, his teaching, um, he said something that really struck me as interesting. There's always danger. Danger happens all the time. And, and uh, there's, there's, uh, there are two different ways of dealing with danger. Um, there's a danger that, that, uh, that you're in that's going to happen to you. And then there's the other danger where you are dangerous. And, uh, you know, in, in the Bible, Pharaoh was actually in danger. Now, the Israelites thought they were in danger, but actually Pharaoh was in danger. He was going to attack some people who actually were God's people. And so God wasn't going to let that happen. And and instead, Moses, who seemed like he was in danger with God's people, actually Moses was dangerous. And he was brave and confident, but all the people are scared and they're afraid that something's going to happen to them. But... Who do you think won in that situation? Well, Moses, Moses did. 
Moses did. Moses led and all the people of Israel were delivered by God. He took them out and took them through this, the Red Sea. You guys have seen things like that, right? But one of the neat things about that is that we can know is that when we're with God and walking with God, we can be confident always that we're the dangerous ones because God's on our side. He's right there with us. He's going to take care of us. He was, is going to look after each one of you because you love God or, and or your parents love God. And that's why you're here tonight. So I just let's pray and thank God for what he's done and the fact that we don't have to be afraid because he is always with us. Let's pray and thank him for that. Okay. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much. I thank you for these children, their uh, families that have seen fit to bring them to hear about you. And Lord, I do pray that, uh, that we can just give thanks to you each day for your protection, your watching over us. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that actually to uh, Satan and his kingdom, we are actually dangerous because we know you and you're on our side. And you, you actually, are, we're trying to be on your side, really. And uh, we just want to join you in what you're doing. I just pray now as they go back to their study time that they would learn and grow through that time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can go back and, uh, and they're waiting for you back in the back, I believe. Doug, would you do me a favor and get that little podium for me? I appreciate that. I, I kind of uh, just thought it would be fun to kind of think about the, the things. Thank you so much, Doug. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go straight to the passage today because that really, I just thought the children's sermon would be enough to kind of get us tasting a little bit uh, uh, this evening. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, what a joy it is to serve alongside you. I've just been having such a great time uh, seeing how you guys join together and find ways to make things happen that I honestly, I just really wasn't, I'm one of those guys that came into this building thing is kind of scared. I was a little bit afraid of what that was going to do. Um, and isn't it great when you see God actually is in, in charge of these things. Um, I'd like to invite you to the book of, of Exodus, book of Exodus chapter 13. Book of Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to go straight into, into this passage. Now, by the way, that person I quoted, his name was Erwin McManus, and, and he said it this way. Of course, I didn't say it exactly this way to the children, but to live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live in His will makes us dangerous. Danger is around us. Danger was around the, the, uh, the Israelites. Pharaoh was in danger. Moses was dangerous. Let's look at let Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. And he says this, and I, I know that we've got two different versions, right? I have the inspired version. Everybody else has the English uh, standard version, okay? But, so I'm going to read out of the inspired version tonight called the New American Standard. But what you're going to see back there is the other one, all right? Which is actually a good translation, don't get me wrong. Chapter, chapter 13, verse 17 says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds. 
when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and will, you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped in Etham, Etham excuse me, on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, Now don't you like the way that, that God is giving them direction? They're walking along. Now you've got to get the picture here. They're traveling along, going along the way that they need to go. And it's the wrong way, sort of, because it's the long way. My children would say, Dad's taking the scenic route again. But they're, they're going along this way, and they're traveling along here. And as they're going, they've got their eye on the way to cross. And God says, okay, now turn back. Turn back and camp by the sea. That's what he's saying here. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say, this is the reason, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I, will that's God, will be honored through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Father, help us to understand what you're speaking to us tonight and what you were saying to them at that time. We pray in Jesus' name. You see, God sets the stage for a showdown between belief, unbelief, and hardened hearts. He sets the stage for a showdown between belief, unbelief, and hardened hearts. See, prior, prior to the final plague, don't you love it? The event we now know is Passover. God gave the Israelites some specific instructions. He said, here's how you're going to prepare to leave. Exodus 11.2, he said, they were, to, they were to ask for gold and silver from their neighbors. Fulfilling the prophecy that he said long earlier that you're going to plunder the Egyptians. You're going you're to take all of their belongings or many of their belongings and take them with you. In Exodus 12, 11, they were told to eat the Passover dressed ready for travel. They were going to have to make haste as soon as the word came out that it was time to go. And so they had to be ready for the departure. While Pharaoh and the Egyptians were grieving their loss, the Israelites picked up their newly acquired wealth and supplies and hit the trail with great joy. This was a great time. They, they may have been slow to believe Moses, but there are no doubts now. Moses, what a great guy. 
Look what He's done. Look at what God has done for us. Uh, God had delivered them from the bondage of slavery. They they had no reason but to rejoice. Unbelief has turned to belief. Their unbelief has turned to belief. Joseph's instructions from the end of Genesis were, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which He promised. And God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. These words were remembered and they took Joseph's bones because this was a step of faith. Still, God knows that Israel has a long way to go. That is, before they are true believers. Now, when you think that's strange, you think it's strange that I would say that, except for you know the story. Those of you who know the story say, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. They experienced, now think about it, they experienced multiple miraculous works through God's intervention, but their life experience was the influence, or were the influences of pagan gods and their own lowly, miserable lives. After 430 years, count them, 430 years, all they really know is Egypt. You've got to think about it now. 430 years, all the Israelites know is Egypt. Canaan is a foreign land. They haven't thought about it. They haven't been there. And in reality, even when their people were there, they were strangers in that land. It was not their physical possession. But God leads them by a way that will have significant hardships, but not the hardship of war. At least not at first. It makes sense when you think about it. Now you don't think, think about it now. It makes sense. They've never had war. They've never fought wars. But they have had hardships. They, they, they've suffered as a, as for 400 years. They've suffered as forced laborers in the hot sun. A harsh environment. Now you may be thinking right now, that's tempting. <laughs> Let's give that a try. Those kids were telling me that's what they were looking for. I noticed that. I'm thinking about talking to you guys about where, where you're going to send me on vacation. That sounds like a good idea. Um, there, there's something more, though. God is not finished with unbelief and hardened hearts. Now, you would think, right? But, well, let's go on. God, God knows the way Pharaoh thinks. God knows the way he thinks. That's he, he knows this man who is the most powerful man in the world at the time, who was considered a God. God, our God, knows how He thinks. And He knows the strength of Pharaoh's stubborn heart. In verse 4, God told Moses that He was going to harden, literally strengthen, Pharaoh's heart. or his mind, his way of thinking. The reason? So the Egyptians will know that he is Lord. That's what's going to happen. The Egyptians need to know that he is Lord. Now, we're going to get to that in just a minute, but 
Let's look at verse 5. Move on to verse 5 for a moment. 5 through 12 in verse four, chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? That we've let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea by Pi, beside Pi-Hatheroth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, that was a good thing, by the way. That's progress. They cried out to the Lord. They knew something about Him now. Then, verse 11, they said to Moses, it is, because there were, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that bother you? Is it because... There were no graves. Why have you dealt with us this way? Bringing us out of Egypt. Is this, verse 12, is this not what the, the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Unbelief. Unbelief cowers and cries while hardened hearts blindly race toward destruction. I have often been troubled by the consistency of the Israelites' failure to believe. Not the least of these frustrations is reading Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Well, not Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. Judges. Oh, Judges. Isn't Judges irritating? Man, come on, guys. You know, don't even get me into kings. I mean, what is it with kings? I mean, and their king acted unfaithfully, and the people did their own thing. I just get so tired of that stuff. But anyway, Israel has experienced now, this is what they've experienced. They've experienced the plagues. And what appears to be a final defeat of Pharaoh and Egypt, still, God knows it isn't enough. It isn't enough. Pharaoh and his servants are not long in their grief and repentance. Apparently, they were not repentant, right? Pharaoh's like, you know, he's like, no. He let them go, now he's changing his mind. They were sorry and defeated, but not repentant. Have you been there? 
Have you been there? I've been there. Sorry and defeated and not repentant. Okay, I've been there. I'm not going to tell when I've been there. I don't want you to know all my sorry, sad life of disobeying God at times. Why? So they're out of their unrepentance, they pull out the tanks, the F-16s, the armored personnel carriers, forgetting all that God had already done, shown them, and, and they would tear after the Israelites. We're going to do something about this. I see that often in the lives of men. They are sorry for their addictions, their failures, their addictions, yeah. Alcohol, drugs, pornography. They're sorry for that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. But they're not repentant. They're sorry for their failures, marriage, children, jobs. They're sorry for that. But they're not repentant. You understand the difference, right? Repentance means I turn, I change. I go a different way. I go God's way. Sorry means, ah, got caught again. but I want to go do it again. I just got to be more careful next time. They, in this case, I know that they grieve, but they don't turn. They would rather not change. We don't like to change. Change is hard. I do what I do because I like doing it or think I like doing it. Change is hard. But this is, this is a hard heart. Philip Yancey tells about listening to a friend who had decided to leave his wife of 15 years. Listen to this. He, he had found someone who, this is, quote, makes me feel alive like I haven't felt in years. You ever hear that? I know I talk to a lot of troubled couples. And I hear that kind of thing. Not very often from Christian couples. I did pastor, good close pastor friend of mine years ago. Daniel, name of this man, knew well the personal and moral consequences of his plan. His decision would inflict permanent damage on his wife and three children. Even so, he said, the force pulling him toward the younger woman was too strong to resist. Then Daniel said, Philip, you study the Bible. Do you think God can forgive something as awful as I am about to do? What would you say? Yancey thought for a while. He thought there was about there's one catch to grace. According to Augustine, Augustine says, God gives where he finds empty hands. A person whose fists are closed tight can't receive a gift. C.S. Lewis explains, to condone an evil is simply to ignore it. To treat it as if it were good. But forgiveness 
needs to be accepted as well as offered if it is to be complete. And a man who admits no guilt can accept no forgiveness. Hear me. I think C.S. Lewis has something here. A man who, can, can, who admits no guilt can accept no forgiveness. So Yancey answered, can God forgive you? Of course. But what we go through to commit sin distances us from God. We change in the very act of rebellion. And there is no guarantee we will ever come back. You ask me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later? Especially if it involves repentance. So on the other side of the fence, on the other side of the fence, I hate it when that happens. The Israelites, moments earlier, going out boldly, literally with a high hand, were on the heights of emotional power. We're great. We're awesome. Our God is awesome. Moses is awesome. We're doing great right now. We're going to be free. They were feeling strong and exuberant. They, they had just been to church and felt the Holy Spirit. You ever done that? You know, oh, the Holy Spirit was present. The music was awesome, which, by the way, today was, wasn't it? So far. I'm sure it will be. Awesome. And we say, oh, I experienced God today. That's where they were. However, God likes to make absolutely certain that no one steals His glory. He also wants to demonstrate clearly His superiority to any other God, philosophy, or idea. At this moment, that's what He's doing. As God prepares for one final blow against the false beliefs of the Egyptians, He also prepares to clear up some of the fickle Belief, unbelief of His chosen people. God leads them to an apparent trap between a rock-solid military and a wet place. With their backs to the Red Sea, they helplessly watch as the powerful army of chariots comes bearing down on them. the most powerful army in the world. The Israelites have never fought a battle. They cry out to God, good, good. But they still complain and wring their hands. They remind Moses that their early words in the beginning, leave us alone. Things were better for us before you arrived. Let us serve the Egyptians. Now they say, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They are an amazing group of whiners. 
Hmm. Their problem is unbelief. They see God work, but find it hard to believe that he will do it again. They seem to doubt that the God who unleashed the plagues, the staff to serpent, the water to blood, frogs, insects, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, loss of firstborn, can do anything about Pharaoh's army. What is their problem? I'm sorry. Shouldn't be so emotional about this stuff. Contrast how much God has done for you through the years. Hmm. I mean, you're ready to judge the Israelites, aren't you, right now? Aren't, I am. I'm judging them. How much has God done for you? And how many times have you complained, doubted, worried, wrung your hands? Is unbelief a problem for you as well? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Well, God makes believers out of both hard hearts and unbelievers. I love the last part of this passage. I'm really afraid I can't read the whole thing. But Moses said to the people, verse 13, Do not fear. Stand by the, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. <laughs> he will accomplish it for you today. You will never see them again. I'm sorry, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you <laughs> keep silent. <laughs> you got to love it, right? All you got to do is be quiet and God's going to do it. Then the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> why is he saying this to Moses? But anyway, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Oh, that's good, sort of. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, verse 19, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up their pursuit, and Pharaoh's, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. 
He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Moses never doubted. I love it. Moses never doubted in this whole situation here. He knew what God was going to do. He just didn't know how. But he knew it would be a final demonstration of God's power over the Egyptians. He cried out on behalf of the people. God's response is classic, I think. What what are you waiting for? Tell them to get ready and watch as God fights for you. Throughout Israel's history, they are expected to trust God to win battles for them. This is a part of their whole makeup. This is who they are. This is their DNA. We talk about the DNA of Renovation Church. This is their DNA. Wouldn't it be great if our DNA was one that we, we let God win the battles? Wouldn't it be great? That's the way we should be. If you've ever watched the Ten Commandments, you cannot help but picture the parting of the Red Sea in that way, that, that, that lens. Um, the description here really is not, that's not actually a bad picture. The description here is that of a wall of water on the right and on the left, a tall wall like the walls around ancient cities to protect them. There is no hesitation for the Israelites to enter the dry seabed. I always, that one amazes me too. I guess, given favor on the other end, you may as well do it. This is a miracle. Um, Meanwhile, the angel of the Lord moves into position to protect the Israelites as they pack up and move a million people through the sea. Got to get this picture, okay? This is no small crowd. Approximately, okay, give or take, a million people are marching through the sea. This is not going to take just a few minutes. It's going to take some time. And apparently, this takes all night. It seems that the pillar provided light for the Israelites and dark for the Egyptians. The Egyptians can't move. But the Israelites are just climbing, yeah, progressing on through. It's easy for you to say, not for me, though. Uh, They're progressing right through this gap in the sea. Um, Now everyone believes. The Egyptians believe. There is no hope of defeating the people of God. Their God is too strong, all-powerful, even too cunning as He lured them into the gap. (laughs) The Israelites believe their God is superior now. That He is their deliverer. That He is God over all of nature. That He will fight their battles. F.B. Meyer says, unbelief puts circumstances between itself and Christ. Think about that. Unbelief puts circumstances between itself and Christ. Belief, I'm sorry, let me say it again, I'll get it right. Unbelief puts circumstances between itself and Christ so as not to see Him. Faith puts Christ between itself and circumstances so that it cannot see them. Where are you 
in your belief pilgrimage. You can know by what you see. If you are seeing the circumstances looming large in front of you, something's wrong with your faith. Unbelief is your mode of operation. If you are seeing the circ- if, if you are I'm sorry if you are seeing Christ, and circumstances are small issues under His control, you have discovered the value of knowing Him. Belief is your mode of operation. However, if you find yourself ready to attack all that God stands for, if you are living in an antagonistic posture toward the realm of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and His Word, your mode of operation sounds more like that of Pharaoh. The hardened heart, strong, against the things of God. If you're in a place of unbelief, let me invite you today to consider once again the reality of God and how through Christ He has opened a way for you to know Him and get right close, up close, personal with Him. To have confidence as you walk through life, face the, 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 the circumstances. I mean, this was not going to be easy going through the wilderness, all right? But he, they could go with confidence knowing that God was with them. The all-powerful, mighty God. How about you today? Are you in that place where you're struggling with unbelief? Are you worse? Have you been battling God? <laughs> if you're still alive, I still think there's time for you. All right? But let me invite you today to say yes to Jesus. Stop fighting Him. Stop not believing. Does that make sense? Stop not believing. That's a good double negative, I think. Um, But there's no reason not to believe in this God who has done so many great things. And He did it for you. I'm going to invite you today to give that consideration. Now, if I was this real good Baptist, I would give a an invitation right now. Okay? And I would say, come forward and, and get on your knees and I would lead you in a prayer. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to you, because I'm not a good Baptist. Well, I am, but I don't want to blow you guys away. Um, <clears throat> what I want you to do is don't walk away from here without dealing with that. So what I'm going to tell you is, I'm going to be at the back. And there will be others around here. Our other elders are here. They're ready to talk to you about how, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't it be a great way this time of year as we get ready to make this kind of a move? It's a physical move. It's a building, folks. It's just a building. We have a mission. And our mission goes well beyond the building. Our mission is to get that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he loves every man, woman, and child, and they, he wants them to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to that message. And that little building that we're going to is inadequate for what God wants to do through Renovation Church. All right? And we're not going to like build a big church. What we're going to do is we're going to build lots of churches, not buildings, people. Okay? That's what our intent is. I'm sorry, I'm straying from my notes, but I just want us to keep thinking about that. 
If you're here today and you haven't dealt with that, don't walk away without dealing with it. All right? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you're acting like you're not because the circumstances have you piled under, turn it back over to him. Cry out to him. Say, God, my circumstances, what am I thinking? You can take it under your control. Please do. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for delivering the Israelites from the Egyptians. We thank you because (laughs) that's how we can know so much about you. And we can know that you have confidence and then ultimately what you did in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you so much. And we'll come later on to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, just pray that as we remember that, we'll remember there is not a circumstance, there is not a thing in the world that can stand between us and that which you've called us to do, except for our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.